going to be speaking and when I'm asked. Um, God doesn't give me the whole message straight away, but he gives me, um, he gives me like a little phrase or a word. And, and for me, this came over Christmas. I was at home with my family and the, we went to the cinema. We went to see a movie. We went to see a movie called The Greatest Showman. You might have heard of it. <laughs> um, I know how uh, popular, popular it's been. Um, and I know that a lot of you have really enjoyed it. Uh, so don't worry if you've not seen it yet. If you've not, I don't know why not. But if you've not, uh, I won't spoil it. But uh, towards the end of the movie, well, the, the movie, just in case you haven't seen it, is about the, um, the man P.T. Barnum, who started the circus, or who's thought to have started the circus. And he uh, brings together all these kind of... Uh, outcasts and people that society have shunned and laughed at and ignored and he brings them together and he creates the circus um, and so I guess there's so many themes that you could pull out of the movie about being inclusive and about um, everyone having their own gifts and that people can be used in different ways but there was a quote near the end of the movie and um, it's between Barnum is having a conversation with the critic that has been um, really bad-mouthing and, and being quite harsh with his reviews of his show. And so the, criti the critic Bennett says to Barnum, I never liked your show, but I always thought the people did. Barnum replied that they did, and they do. And Bennett goes on to say, Mind you, I wouldn't call it art, but putting all shapes and colours on stage with you, some might even have called it a celebration of humanity. And that phrase, a celebration of humanity, really struck a chord with me. And I believe that that, those, that phrase is what God's desire for the church is. That church would be a celebration of humanity. So if you want a title to write down for this morning, that's what it is. A celebration of humanity. So we're going to start um, straight in Ephesians chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he laid captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended on high higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some the, to some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until they reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature in attaining the whole measure and fullness of Christ. 
Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blowing, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, the truth, instead, the truth in love, we, all, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined together and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Um, one of my Bible college lectures was always talking about how important context is when we're studying. He used to have this phrase that context is king. And so if you didn't have, if, if in one of your essays you'd maybe missed out or you'd not maybe spent enough time talking about the context, that would be the little phrase that he wrote um, at the side of your essay. But just to give a little bit of um, background information, the book of Ephesians, um, well, the book, well, the each part of the Bible was written to a specific group of people and to a specific context and with a specific um, purpose in mind. And so it's important that we understand the context to help us fully understand what it is that the passage is trying to say to us. Um, so Paul spent a significant amount of time with the Ephesian church, uh, briefly at the, the end of his second missionary journey and for what's thought to be about two years on his third journey. And the letter Paul writes to the Ephesians is, was written during his time in, or his first time in prison with the Romans. This letter addresses some of the core teachings of Christianity, both the faith and the practice of them. And in the first section of the chapter, Paul focuses on, or sorry, in the first section of the letter, Paul focuses on the core teachings um, that believers then, if they put these into action, they can live the lifestyle that he goes on to talk about in the second part. So Paul spends the first three chapters of the letter discussing God's creation of a holy community by his, gifts, by his gift of grace and in the death and resurrection of Jesus. The members of this community have been chosen by God through the work of Christ and are adopted as sons and daughters and brought near to the Father through faith in his Son. All people with this faith have been made alive and united because of the person and the work of Jesus. Unlike many of his other letters, Paul wasn't responding to a specific theological issue or a moral problem, but actually he was trying to establish strength and maturity in the community of believers to protect them against future issues and, and push them on to be closer to God and to the fullness of Christ. So in the first few chapters, he lays out the theological truths of what church is and what faith is. And then we come to chapter four, where we've just read, and that's where we're going to be focusing this morning. It starts with this verse, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received, to be completely humble and gentle, bearing with one another, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Now, even just in that first verse, I don't know about you, but that's not always been my, or that's not always been the experience I've had of church. And, and probably more so in Northern Ireland than, than a lot of places, that's not been the world's view of the church in the world. It's not been what the world's seen of church. Bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bonds of peace. And the church in this country has been ma marked by both a lack of bearing in love and every effort to, to the unity of the spirit through the bonds of peace. And non-Christians have seen this, and sadly, sometimes this has become the forefront of their mind. Rather than the other things that the church does, people remember the disunity 
and the lack of bearing with one another in love. And both Christians and non-Christians can become disillusioned by what church is because of that and why it's meant to function. Sometimes I wonder if issues like secondary issues that often become things that divide people, if God is more concerned about the fact that they've been divided or concerned about the issue that they're dividing over. The passage goes on to say in verse 11, So Christ gave himself the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So Christ gave. Another version says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to his church. In my Bible, uh, in the Gospels, I don't know if maybe you have one similar, um, Jesus' words are all written in red. It draws your attention to the words. It makes, them, it makes them stand out more than the other words. And I suppose partly because of the fact they were spoken by Jesus, that is important enough that our attention should be drawn. But I wonder also, was their, their decision to do that, was it because that when Jesus speaks, usually he's calling us to action? Usually he's expecting a response. Usually he's expecting us to do something about what he's saying. And so although this verse isn't in red letters, because it's not Jesus' words, but it's Jesus' gift, it's Jesus' action, Jesus is still trying to tell us something. Now, Wednesday was Valentine's Day, and I'm sure some of you received some lovely gifts from partners or whatever for for Valentine's Day, and maybe some of you didn't, so sorry if I got you into trouble. But um, gifts gifts are a funny thing, whether it's for your birthday or for... Uh, Valentine's Day or for Christmas. Gifts have a reason. They have a purpose. Uh, Gifts tell you that someone cared enough to go and buy you a gift, um, or not in some cases. (laughs) It's not your love language, it's a different thing. Um, But (laughs) we'll move on. Um, So so gifts, gifts tell you something. When someone gives you a gift, rarely is it for no reason. Even if it's a surprise gift, even if it's not for a certain event or occasion, there's usually a purpose behind the gift. So just like, just like when we give gifts, Jesus never gives gifts for no reason. He, although other, unlike our gifts, when we're given a gift, sometimes it's just out of necessity because it's a certain occasion. Sometimes it's because we think it's what the person wants. But when Jesus gives us a gift, he not only knows what we want, but he knows what we need. And he gives us gifts out of our needs rather than just our wants. So when Paul tells us that Jesus gave us these gifts, it's because we needed them. But what is it he's trying to tell us by giving us these specific gifts? Part of our answer is found in verse 12. It says, to equip his people for works of service. Jesus gave these gifts for his people to operate in, not so that those operating in the gifts would be doing all the work, but so they could enable his body to do the works of service. We're not just talking, when we talk about works of service, it's not just, um, it's not just uh, the typical things. It's not just making tea and coffee. But actually, works of service, it's thought that the, the word um, in the Greek, sorry, my note's in the wrong order. The word in the, in, the, in the Greek is a word, which I'm sorry if I pronounce it wrong, nano. Okay, I'll go on. Is um, 
I think, diakonia, we'll say, um, which means um, two things. It's used in one way, it's used to describe a, a waiter serving a table. And in another way, it's also, it's also used sometimes for the word bringing. So the idea that the waiter would be bringing the food to the table. So when we talk about works of service, it's the idea, sometimes in the Bible it's used as um, the idea of bringing the good news and sometimes it's actual physically serving the food at, at church or serving the food to the body. Um, so when we're talking about works of service, it's not just, it's not just the service, it's the, the work of bringing God's message to the people. And that's what ministry is. It's not just standing up preaching. It's not just praying for people. Ministry is all that we do. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but in my experience, I always thought of those in ministry to be the ones maybe going off to the mission field or going to seminary to become a a pastor or a minister. But we are all called to works of ministry. The passage goes on to say, to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Paul is telling us that we, as the church, have been given these gifts and people with these gifts for a reason. Unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God to become mature and attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So what does that look like? At the beginning of the chapter, Paul says, be completely humble. And I think this is where we have to begin, both to understand unity and to actually live it out. Because how can we expect to bear with one another in love if we aren't humble in our our approach? Some consider the unity of the spirit to mean spiritual unity that God produces within us, which isn't wrong, It's, it's definitely part of it. But actually, unity is a choice. We have a choice whether we can unite with people or whether we divide from them. But, but as Christians, we have to learn that unity is at the core of what God is calling us to do. What we also see in this passage is that Jesus has not only given us these gifts for the saints to be equipped, but he's created a dependence. Because while I believe God can use us all for, for the gifts, whether that's giving a prophetic word to someone or um, teaching someone or evangelizing, just because we do those one, one thing um, doesn't necessarily make us a prophet or an evangelist. So we need one another. God created the church that way, that we would need one another to function. It says uh, in 1 Corinthians, it talks, Paul's talking to the church about what the body of Christ looks like. And it says, the body is a unit, though comprised of many parts, and although its parts are many, they all form one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, we were all given one spirit. For the body does not consist of one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the members of the body, every one of them, according to his design. If we were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. 
The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you, nor the head to the feet, I do not need you. On the contrary, parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable, and parts we consider less honourable we treat with great honour. And our unpresentable parts we treat with special modesty, whereas our presentable parts have no such need. But God has composed the body and has given it greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its members should have mutual concern for one another. If one part suffer, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now, we don't have time to go into that much, much further, but it really illustrates, without digging too deep, it really illustrates beautifully how God designed his church to exist, how God designed his church to function. God is calling his people to maturity. But the challenge about maturing is that the way he designed it is that it can't be done in isolation. We can't attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ without entering into his church. And that's not something that sits well with our Western worldview. The worldview that tells us that I'm responsible for me and me alone and you don't have to worry about me and I'll worry about me and you worry about you. You can go into bookshops and there's literally hundreds of self-help books that give you 10 steps to a better you or five steps to a better you. And even if you look at, although it's coming into February now, so some of these books are disappearing, but if you look at the fitness programs that are out, um, the exercise DVDs or all that kind of thing, there's a bit of a trend arising amongst them. I don't know if you've noticed that. When people, they were, I guess they found out that people were really struggling to achieve their weight loss or their fitness goals in isolation. They didn't have support and they didn't have accountability and so they didn't achieve the goals that they set out to achieve so most fitness programs now have communities, whether it's Slimming World where they meet every week or online Facebook communities where people can share their problems. People saw the need, this desire that things have to be done in community to succeed. And so these people were able to unite over their common goal of fitness or weight loss or whatever it was. They realized they needed each other's help to achieve those goals and that they couldn't keep doing it on their own. Church should be a celebration of humanity, both its strength and its weaknesses. And it was created as a community where people could belong as they are, not putting on a mask, not putting on a front, because people are longing to belong. They're longing for a place that makes them feel like they're okay, that they're accepted. The world is crying out for places to belong. Jesus says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The church needs to be marked by their love for one another, by their bearing with one another in love, because that's what unity looks like. Unity is not necessarily agreeing with everyone all the time. It's not having the same opinions as other people always, but unity is choosing to, to disagree with someone, but still walking alongside them. Unity is not the same as unison, and too often I think we've tried to make that mistake, or the church has made that mistake when we feel like we have to agree with everything and we have to, our views have to match up completely. There's plenty more musical people than me here, but if you think about a group of people singing, if they all sing in unison, they're singing the same notes at the same time. And it can sound beautiful, but when you add harmonies in, it adds a whole other level when people are singing different notes that are complementary to, to the original melody. There's something really beautiful in the depth that's created when we add harmonies to, what's, to, to the music. So God intentionally created us differently. 
but not so that we would become divided, but so that we could unite over our need for one another. Our mutual ability to bring the gifts and talents and abilities that we have and offer and receive them from the people around us. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is where our series gets its name, Jesus is approached by a lawyer who um, scholars are pretty sure is trying to trick him. And Jesus responds with a story. Last Sunday, we were learning about this story with the kids, and it's not a complicated story. It's not, Jesus doesn't try to trick the lawyer with, with his response. We asked all the, or I, I asked all the children, who, who was the neighbor to the man in that story? And they were all able to tell me that it was the Good Samaritan. And when we asked them why, it was because he was nice to him. He treated them like they should have. Now, if our four and five-year-olds can get that, then so can we. But the thing is, just because, it's just because it's not complicated doesn't always make it easier to live out. God has given the church gifts, the gifts that we've been talking about, but other gifts as well, so that we can bring good news to these broken, lost, and hurting people. That's part of the reason, as a church, we're doing life seminars, because we realize that it's not just a responsibility of a small few or those that we see the gift of evangelism in to share the good news. It's the gift, or it's the, the purpose and the, the role of each of us to share the good news with those around us and those who are desperately crying out for an answer to their hurt and their pain. So who are our neighbors? I think we're all neighbors in some manner or other. The neighbors are your peop the people that you're sitting beside right now. Your neighbors are the people who live in your village, the waiter that served you at the restaurant. Some of your neighbors maybe are Christians and part of church. Others maybe are not, not yet. Some maybe don't even know that there's a body of Christ that they can exist, that they can come and be a part of. And our collective responsibility as the church is to be neighbors to everyone. Maybe some of our neighbors need us to be people who can help them find their way through their distorted view of what church is because of hurts of the past or the, hypo the hypocrisy that they see. They need us to bring light and clarity to that. They need us to take away their disillusionment. Maybe some of our neighbors need help getting planted in their local church because they they became Christians, but now they, they're kind of wavering on the edge because they've not had that community to support, support to help them grow and mature. Maybe your neighbor needs to know that they're not alone, that they need someone to listen, not to give answers, not to uh, tell them what to do, but just to listen. Maybe your neighbor needs to know what true belonging is. And it's not just being part of the church. It's more than that. It's learning to trust the people that you're with. It's learning to understand that none of us are perfect and none of us are claiming to be. And people will let you down, even people with the best intentions. But Jesus won't. He will lead you and guide you through the situations where we're struggling. True belonging requires us to be brave enough to be vulnerable and open and honest about our experiences and our struggles. Because maybe your neighbor needs you to learn to do that so that they can get the breakthrough that they're looking for in their, in, in their life. True, true unity requires us to be vulnerable. The church was never intended to be a perfect place for perfect people. But because for a long time that image has been the one that most people have seen, either they, think, either they look at the church and think it's hypocr 
hypocritic or not um, authentic or they turn away because they think they can't live up to those standards. What is the image that we're presenting as a church? Because church is all about honesty, it's all about vulnerability and it's all about being able to be, be open and broken and hurting with the people that you're doing life with. Our spiritual growth is reliant on us existing and being in community with one another. Proverbs 27.17 talks about iron sharpening iron, so one man sharpens another. We need others around us because sometimes, just as we can't see the good things that we can do, sometimes we don't always see the flaws that are in that are, that are in us. Sometimes we can't see them because we're too close to ourselves. Sometimes we need other people to help us work through those issues. And so this morning, just um, just we're just in closing, I guess. What is it? What areas maybe is it that you need to find vulnerability or or trust someone? Where is it that you need to to learn what unity looks like? Maybe there's been situations in your life and you have struggled to to be united. Um, You've struggled or there's not been unity maybe in your family or in different situations of friendship. And it's not to say that things always have to be perfect and you always have to be good friends with someone. But sometimes we need to learn what unity looks like and, and conflict can happen, but we can both but it can happen in a healthy way. So what is it that you need to, what is it that God is speaking to you about this morning? What is it that God is showing you this morning? Where is it that you need breakthrough this morning? The church was always intended to be a place where people could come and be who they were, be who they are, but also a place that they could come and be united with other people who could encourage them, who could offer their gifts to serve them. The church was intended to be a celebration of humanity in all its strengths, but all its weaknesses as well. And so I'm just going to finish there and I'm going to pray. But um, if there's anything that God is speaking to you about, if there's anything that you still are feeling that God has been stirring in you this morning, whether it was in the worship at the start or through what, what God is speaking this morning, I, just take some time. Feel free to come and speak to someone. Make sure that you do something about it, though, because the, the biggest thing that I have found is when God speaks to me, the longer I wait to talk to someone or to take action, the, the easier it is that I can talk myself out of it. So it might not be a big thing, but just find someone that you can trust, that you can share that with, that you can ask for help with whatever that is, because this is a community. Church was always meant to be a safe place, a community of believers and a celebration of humanity. So, Father, we thank you. God, we thank you for your goodness. God, we thank you that despite its challenges and despite the difficulty that comes with being in community, that you created us to be, you created us to rely on one another, that you created us to need one another and to need community. And so God, I pray just that you would even give us new perspective on what community looks like. For those of us who have had hurt and pain in the past because of being in community, God, I pray that you would bring just a fresh vision of what community in your eyes looks like, of what its purpose is, of what it, of its goodness, and, and not to, 
disregard the badness, but God, we thank you that you are a restorer of brokenness. You're a healer of hurts. You're one who will bring um, unity over what can seem like the biggest, the biggest um, divide. God, you can change that. So even just um, this morning, even just we pray for our government and the disunity that's there, Father, we pray that the church will be seen to be an answer in that, that you will be seen to be an answer in that. So Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for what you're doing in this land, in your people. And God, we just say, have your way. God, we're ready to, for you to reveal more of yourself to us. We want more of yourself. We want more of you in our lives, Father. Whatever that looks like, whatever needs to change, Father, we, we are ready, we are willing. God, help us just to be open, to bear with one another and to unite in your spirit through the peace that you have given us. God, we love you, we thank you in Jesus' name.